Well, Happy New Year. Some of you guys, this New Year, we're in January still. Anybody get nice and sick this last New Year besides me? Cool. Uh, so if you need to sneeze or cough, feel free. It's okay. And I hope you feel the same with me because I might have to do the same. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I love this time of year in our New Year's resolutions. Anybody makes New Year's resolutions? Yes? Good. Good. I know a lot of us have. And I made one this year that I'm not going to make anymore. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm done with this whole thing. You know, because it always seems like I always fall short. You know, I make this New Year's resolution. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, this is going to happen. Sometimes there are spiritual things, and sometimes there are just things I want to change in my life. And a lot of times I find myself just disappointed. We fall short. Our gym memberships become donations, and we have more cheat days in our diets than we have good days. And, you know, we just seem to, we try to get up early to read our Bibles, and next thing you know, the pillow monster starts arresting us and holding us down, and we forget to do that as well. At least that, that happens to me a lot. You know, we make these efforts to do this, and the change doesn't happen. And then we feel guilty, then we feel disappointed, going, man, why couldn't I get up to read my Bible? I must not be a good Christian. What's wrong with me? Right? Maybe some of you guys feel like I do, at least. But I want to talk to us today about how to have true change in our life. It doesn't have to happen in January that we're going to make this, here we are, let's make this true change. Let's, let's make this, this charge for the rest of the year and be better, do better, and, and want to be better, you know? I want to talk about lasting change, a change that maybe can last for a lifetime, and whether the change is something that we need to maybe stop doing, or maybe a change that needs to be something that we start doing. But change that lasts, and maybe you're in a marriage and you're thinking, man, I need a change. And yeah, you can't change spouses, but yes, there's probably some change that can be made. And I think that uh, hopefully by the end of our, our time together, we'll see how God can make that change happen for us. And, and maybe you're here, you've been struggling with something that you've been trying to change, and nothing has happened. Then I hope our message today may give you hope. And well, I believe there's a few areas that we need to consider if we're going to have true change in our lives. And there's a couple reasons why true change doesn't happen. And that first one is found in Ephesians chapter 6, 10. Let's look there together. Ephesians 6, 10. That's found in the New Testament. Ephesians 6, 10. It's a familiar verse. I'm sure for most of us, it's known as the armor of God chapter in the Bible, but there might be an aspect in this verse, I think, just in the first couple we'll look at, that maybe we miss. We'll look at verses 10 through just 12 in this pre-armor of God, if you will. Ephesians 6.10. Because <coughs> if we want true change, we understand why it's hard to read the Bible. Why is it hard to pray? Going getting along with others, like our husbands, or wives, or children, boss. Why is it so hard? Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10, together. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We need to understand this 
Notice what it said there. It says, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the wiles of the devil. But then it said, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Did you guys catch that? It's not against flesh and blood. As Christians, as people, we don't fight against other people. And I'm pretty sure that includes spouses, boyfriends, girlfriends, parents, police, whatever. We don't fight against them. So why do we? Why do we think that we do fight against these people? Check this out. It does say we do not fight against them, but we do fight against someone else. We do fight against, in a nutshell, the devil. It says against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of, this, of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So we don't fight against each other, but we do fight against the devil. So why do we fight? Here's how come we do fight. The devil deceives us in thinking that we do fight against each other. That's why we fight against each other, because God has already told us right here that we don't fight against flesh and blood. You know, you can nudge your partner to make sure they're not a cyborg. They're, they're our flesh and blood. And if you're here with someone who is, you've been fighting with, God's already told us we don't fight against them. So why do I? Because the devil deceives me in thinking I do, because God's already told me I don't. He's deceived me in thinking, you know, I do fight against this person. And this is one of the reasons why we don't have true change in our life. We have someone who is opposing us to change. Someone else that's trying to stop us from changing our life. And that's the devil, the enemy. He's trying to stop us from having true change to happen in our life. He's trying to stop us. You know, this is one of the reasons why change doesn't happen. It's this opposition from the enemy. It's not your spouse, it's not someone else, it's not someone that's doing this to you. It's the one behind that thought. It's the devil himself, who's, it's you know, the spiritual weakness of, of these evil forces trying to stop us. Because notice what it says is our struggle is not against flesh and blood. No, our fight is against the devil. And that's why we fight. He's deceived us in thinking that we do fight against ourselves, against other people, spouses, etc. The first reason why we don't have change our life is because we have someone who's opposing us. Trying to stop our godly behavior, encourage sinful behavior, that's why we continue to have these same things happen over and over in our life. This is the reason why we fight. De- the devil deceives us in thinking that we do. <clears throat> Jesus is a, a master at showing us this. You know, well, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Jesus shows us about this battle and where, it, where it's really taking place. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Another familiar verse for probably most of us, the temptation of Jesus. But again, look where this temptation is. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And, and he answered and said, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and their hands shall bear you up, 
that you're, you dash your foot, uh, that you, at least you dash your foot against the stone. Then verse 7, Jesus said to him, it is written, again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you. And if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Here's this, this battle going on, this temptation of Jesus. Did we notice that it wasn't like Satan could, all right, Jesus, let's get this fight on. Here we go. It wasn't a physical fight. It wasn't that Satan came down and tried to, to beat up Jesus or tried to fight him in some sort of physical way. He came down to him and he tried to deceive him in his decision making. He's trying to get him to decide and to go down the wrong road trying to have him decide to use the shortcut method. Hey, Jesus, take the shortcut. You can have all the kingdoms you want. I know that's why you came. All you gotta do is bow down and worship me. No, wrong decision. I know you're hungry. Change these stones into bread. It would be a bad decision. See, the devil came down, and he's trying to tempt Jesus in the way of his decision-making. And we see this battle taking place let me illustrate it here maybe in our next slide of how this works. I tried to find the biggest sinner I could find. Um, oh, there he is. Bingo. And who's the biggest sinner I could find? Oh, that's easy. It's me. <clears throat> but here's, let's say this is all of us. I know it looks like me and who needs to shave his beard. But let's say this is, this is us, right? And so the devil comes down to tempt us, but he's not here for a physical battle. He's here for a battle inside here. Our next slide will show this giant brain in my head. I wish that was true. It's, it's, more like a, it's more like a gummy bear, really, inside here than that. But just for fun, we'll say that's a brain inside of our head. Next slide. And, but inside this brain, we have this road, if you will. And this is a road of decision. We get to choose which way we go. We can go left or we can go right. We can choose which direction we're going to take. See, Satan came down and was trying to get Jesus, he's tempting Jesus, to go down the wrong way, to choose the wrong, the wrong way to go. You know, and that's, he's trying to do that in all of our lives. He's trying to tempt us to go down that wrong road. <clears throat> Next slide. And we know that Satan's there because look, he's so harmless, it's so happy. It's like party time, come on, it's not that big of a deal. But he stands at that fork of decision and tries to get us to go down that wrong road. And see, he sits there. And remember, when you're not a Christian, you're held captive by the devil, the Bible says. And when you're not a Christian, you always make the wrong choice. I mean, when I wasn't a Christian, when the devil told me to drink something, I said, all right, let's drink it. He said, let's go someplace. Oh, let's go. Let's go to this club. Let's go party here. Okay, let's go. I didn't put up a fight, right? I did whatever he wanted me to do. I always made the wrong decision. I always followed sin. But now that I gave my life to Jesus, guess what? Now I have a choice. Now that other road has opened up, and I can make another choice. I can say no to, I can say no to sin. But before, I couldn't say no to sin. I'd say, okay, I'll do what you want me to do. I was like the puppet to the puppeteer. But now I can make that decision. And even today, the devil is trying to get us to go down that wrong road. But he stands at that fork of decision and tries to get us to go the wrong way. But it's up to us. We have a free will, 
You can choose which way you want to go. It's totally up to you. You can choose. You know, over in the, over in the Bible, God tells us choose. Choose this day to whom you'll serve. So much of our free will is made possible by how you want to go. Which, which direction do you want to go? But notice it's, it's not a physical battle that we're in. It, the temptation is for the decision in our mind of which way we should go. And if we're going to have true change in our life, it's not more information that we need here. If I told you, hey, you know what, guys? Drinking's bad for you. Is that more information that we need? Go, oh, really? Oh, darn, I'll stop doing that. It's not usually more information that I need. It's not like flirting with your secretary is a bad idea. Oh, it is? Oh, that's new information. Wow, I'll stop doing it. So I, I think we're all pretty much big boys and big girls here. We know what's right and what's wrong, but sometimes we choose the wrong. Why? We'll get to that in a second. But if we're going to have true change in our life, it's not more information that we need. We often think that an action's not right and we need more information to make it right, but that's simply not the case. Because remember, we just read in Ephesians that we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? So none of us are going to fight with our spouse again, correct? Right, maybe not so much. Okay, even though we we just read that, but we're we're still going to do it? We probably will. Why? Because we'll make a wrong decision. The devil will tempt us and we'll go, yeah, she shouldn't say that. And yeah, well, he's never on time. And yeah, well, she's silly. What's wrong with her? And we'll make these wrong decisions. And we'll say that same thing and, and we'll get in this big argument over nothing. It makes no difference about anything. True? <clears throat> it's absolutely true. You know? I mean, we get in arguments about the craziest things. I think one of the biggest arguments my wife and I have been in We've been married for 18 years, and we've had five fights, and one was over Pee Wee Herman. <clears throat> you guys know who Pee Wee Herman is, right? We got in a fight about Pee Wee Herman that this, this guy flashed on the TV. She goes, oh, look, Pee Wee Herman. Like, what? That's not Pee Wee Herman. You don't know who Pee Wee? That's not Pee Wee Herman. And I was deceived in thinking that I really need to make sure that she understood that wasn't Pee Wee Herman. But who cares? Who cares? Let it be Pee Wee Herman. It doesn't matter, right? We argue of the silliest things that make no difference. For no reason, just so we can know that we're right, whatever. We talk to you like you're a three-year-old just to prove to you that I'm right. That's how we do that. But the devil deceives us in thinking that's what we need to do. But it's not. We need to listen to what God wants us to do, you know. So, again, here we are trying to make this action. This action needs to change. We need to do something that God wants us to do. And we see this action that's going, hey, this needs to change. This needs to take place. How do I change this action? It's not more, more information I need. It's not that, hey, stop drinking because it's going to hurt my liver. Yeah, I know that. Hey, stop doing drugs because it's going to ruin my job and everything else. Yeah, I, I know that. That's not the reason. I need to see. Let me illustrate this to you again. In the counseling world, we have this, this concept called corrective behavior. Moms, dads, you guys probably know what corrective behavior is. It's brilliant for like three-year-olds, four-year-olds. And, you know, we correct their behavior and to help them not do something maybe catastrophic, like run out into traffic or something like that. So I have this little nephew, Eli, and he likes SpongeBob. And so I have this nice big screen TV, and little Eli sees SpongeBob, and guess what he wants to do? He's got snot and like Cheetos on his hands. He wants to go touch him, right? SpongeBob, me got a touchy, touchy. And I go, no, no, no touchy, touchy SpongeBob on the big screen. You know, Eli, <clears throat> I know you think he's real because he's really big and you're used to your small little TV, but and, and it's, not, it's not real. 
but he has no concept of real. You know, he's like three, you know, but what's real? And I see him, he's big, my size, me, touchy, touchy. And so <clears throat> I do corrective behavior. I tell Eli, I said, listen, you know, if you go touch SpongeBob, I'm gonna swatch your butt, right? Because I don't want him getting the snot and Cheetos on this big screen. I mean, it makes sense. And so I tell him, no, if you do that, I'm gonna swatch your butt. So he understands, he doesn't touch the screen, right? Because he doesn't want, I'm using pain as the outside catalyst to cause his behavior to be modified. It's, you know, behavior modification. It works for a three-year-old, it's great. But guess what, when I leave the room, what's he gonna do? SpongeBob, me, touchy, touchy, right? And and I come back and I got all these Cheeto handprints all over my, you know, TV and snot and it's it's terrible. He's a three-year-old, what are you gonna do, right? But as long as I'm there, he's good. But as soon as I leave, I got SpongeBob snot all over the place. So that's corrective behavior. And it's great for three-year-olds, but we get a little older and it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work as well, you know? We call them ultimatums as we get older. If you do this, then I'm gonna do this, you know? If you do that one more time, I'm leaving. That's corrective behavior. It's the same type of thing. We use that, we use guilt. Guilt is a great corrective behavior. You know, we make you feel guilty to do something. And hopefully we'll understand that doesn't need to happen. That doesn't need to take place. (coughs) Because what (coughs) little Eli's heart didn't change, but his action did. But what really needs to change is his heart. You know, I love Dr. Phil because Dr. Phil is consistently wrong all the time. That's what I love about him the most. And, um, you know, being a, I've been in biblical counseling for a few years, not quite 20, because I'm only, you know, 27-ish. Um, but I've been here for a while. For a while. Thanks, bro. Appreciate that. Um, and uh, so I, 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 he cracks me up. So I'm watching Dr. Phil. And Dr. Phil had this um, 21-year-old girl on, and she had a four-year-old daughter. And she's clubbing, she's doing what, you know, 21-year-old secular, you know, girls do. She's out clubbing, that's what she wants to do. And so she was brought on the show to try to correct her behavior, right? We gotta, we gotta change this action, this action's bad, we gotta change it. And so Dr. Phil, he uses uh, the, one of the, another way of corrective behavior, what's called intimidation. It's the, I'm Dr. Phil, you're not. And says, you know, listen, you know, you gotta stop doing this, and this isn't right, and you need to stay home with your daughter. And she said, well, I don't want to. I want to go clubbing. He goes, okay. So now he's going to use another style of corrective behavior, guilt. Now, don't you know that your daughter's going to grow up and she's going to have this yearning for men because you weren't there for her and she's going to have this absent mother thing? And she goes, well, I want to go clubbing. That's what I want to do. So now Dr. Phil is really scrambling. He's like, okay. Now he resorts to peer pressure. Peer pressure is a great motivator for us. Don't you think? And so now he goes, audience, don't you think that she should stay home with her daughter? And the, of course the audience, oh yes, Dr. Phil, you're so great. Yes, they should stay. Make her stay, you know? And so the girl, she goes, I don't want to. I want to go clubbing. That's what I want to do. So Dr. Phil's like, oh, well, well, hopefully in another show, we'll see you in the future and we'll see what happens. It's like, that's it. That's it. You got to cut her loose because you can't, what are you going to do? That's what she wants to do. You're going to change it? You can't change it. That's what she wants to do. How do you change that behavior? Dr. Phil's got no answer. Goose egg, sorry. But I, I believe that God does have an answer for us. How to change that behavior. Because that's, so often we go after this action trying to change this action. And it, it's like wiping up blood and not addressing the cut. Because the cut is the problem. We go after the blood so often, and it, to me it doesn't really matter how you bleed. 
you bleed drinking, you bleed drugs, you bleed, you know, girls, boys, whatever it is. Okay, cool. I get it. Doesn't make a difference. But we need to go to the cut. It doesn't really matter how you bleed as much as addressing the cut. Because if you address the cut, you don't bleed. True? Right? So it's the action that we have to go after. And our, our whole society, our world is designed around changing the action. I know, you know, NA and AA, these, these, are, these groups, they have limited success because it's designed on changing the action. They're trying to use coins to make you, you know, to try to keep you sober. You know, I've been down all these roads. Believe me, I was drinking like a fish and smoking. I've done everything. You know, trying to make us feel guilty with a 30, 90, 120, my accountability partner. All these things trying to change this action. Don't drive by a liquor store and, you know. But it's not the actions, the problem. The actions, the blood. It's the source of what's really going on. But we can run around chasing our tail trying to change this action when the action's really not the problem. You know, I had a guy come in for counseling and he had an internet pornography problem. And he go, oh, Pastor Tage, I've, I've got the solution for my internet pornography problem. I go, oh, awesome. Tell me, what's the solution? I'm going to get a smaller monitor. I said, oh, yeah? You think that's going to work? So, oh, yeah, because you know what? I got a big monitor now. I got a small one. Then it won't be, it won't be any big deal at all. I go, really? Monitor's not the problem, buddy. But you're welcome to try if you want. That's not the problem. Problem's not that. The problem's not the action. It's not the device. It's worse than that. That's not the problem. You see, the real problem, it's the heart. And really, that's where desire is. That's the real problem. The real problem is not the action. The action is the result of what's in the heart, right? It's the outward of what's inward. I need to have the heart changed. If we want true change in our life, then we need to have this desire change. And this fixes everything. And I used to drink like a fish, carry a gun, and I was a criminal, and you know, I could tell you stories upon stories of everything I did. And, but you know what? I have no desire to do any of that stuff anymore. I got zero desire. You know, I watch stuff on TV, and you know, pretty much most of the time I don't think, wow, I could be a criminal again. I can't wait to do that. I like to rob the bank, and I like to go and do this you know, big drug deal. I like to do all that. No, I, I look at it and go, you know, no desire for that. Zero. You know, I see people drinking on TV or something, or these, the, all the drinking commercials during all the football games that I enjoy also. I go, oh, man, I remember those live. Oof. Do not want to go back to that. I have no desire for that. You know, but praise God, I have no desire for that. But because I have no desire, desire for it, guess what? I don't drink. Not because I'm a pastor as much. I just have no desire for it, and because I'm a pastor too. But I have no desire for it. It's not even in my heart to do. You know, and, and this, is, this is what it's all about, it's having that desire changed. You know, I had another guy come in my office, and he was this biker guy. I knew he was a biker because he uh, rode in on a Harley, had a vest and chaps, and he was a Harley guy, right? So he came in, he was in trouble. And sometimes my office is kind of like the principal's office at church. And so his wife told him, you know what, you're in trouble. You need to go see Pastor Tage. And so he came down and said, <clears throat> I said, hey, what's going on, man? He goes, ah, I'm in trouble. I said, oh, okay, what's going on? Ah, I got busted. I said, okay, cool, like for what? So I've been going to strip clubs. I'm like, oh, okay. 
yeah, I've been taking out $300 a day out of the ATM and put them in girls' bikinis. I said, oh, cool, that's a waste of money to me, but right on, whatever. I said, okay, cool. I said, well, let me ask you a question. You know, he's a big guy, he's like, you know, 6'4", I'm just a hobbit. And uh, so I, he goes, yeah. I go, let me ask you a question there, biker guy. Um, you ever find yourself riding your Harley down to the gay bar? He goes, what? What's wrong with you? No way! And he's like getting out of his seat. I go, sit down, sit down. You know, you're going to be okay. He goes, that's gross. Don't even talk to me about all that. And I go, what are you talking about? Like whiskers on whiskers? Oh, don't even say it. And I, I go, listen, you have no, des- no desire for that? He goes, no, don't even say it again. I go, come on. You don't have any desire to go down to the gay bar. No! And so before he got too upset, I go, well, how come? Oh, that's so gross. I have no desire for that. I go, well, listen, as much as you think that gay bar thing is gross, God thinks that the strip strip club thing is gross too. God looks at them the same. And actually, I look at them the same. You know, I have no desire to go to the gay bar or a strip club. Zero. I have zero. But why don't you? Why can't you feel the same way about the strip club as you do about the gay bar? You should, because God does. I don't know. He said, I go, okay, let's talk about that then. So that's what has to truly change. It's the desire in our heart. Because we saw that he had no desire for the gay bar, but had total desire to the point where he's spending money. He's got three kids, a wife at home, and he's putting them in jeopardy by doing this for the strip club. Why can't he have that same no desire for either? It's possible. So how do we have true change in our lives? Check this out. In James 1.13, let's look at our our next passage here. Let's mosey over to the right, over to James. I want to show you something here in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. I don't know if you've read this verse before. James chapter 1, verse 13, and really 14 and 15 is where we'll pick it up. But 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But verse 14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Did you see that? Check it out again, verse 14. Each man is tempted when he's drawn away by what? His own desires. And then from the desires, it goes on to the conception that gives birth to sin, and sin, full grown, brings death. So check it out. If you could take it from that infancy stage of changing that desire, guess what? No death no enticement, no sin. If we can catch it right there when it starts with, hey, this desire is no good, this needs to change, then maybe there's no sin. And then maybe there's no death because that is the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's what it, it equates to. That's what the result is. It's death. So if we don't have that desire, then that action doesn't take place. The action doesn't play t- take place. Without that desire, the action doesn't happen. So let me ask you, can you, can you change someone else's desire? No. We try. Ladies, sometimes we're good at this. 
We use a little ultimatum. We use a little encouragement to change someone's desire. But it doesn't change their desire. It may change their action. They may get sneakier at it. They may get better at covering it up. They may get better at faking it. But we can't change someone else's desire. But how about this? Can we change our own desire? Nope. I wish I could. If I could change my desire, I wouldn't have a problem with it. As soon as I did something wrong, oh, that was dumb. Won't do that again. Because it's not new information I need. It's not me going, oh, crud, that was wrong. Ah, thanks. Won't do that. It's not the case. How does my desire get changed? Like we said earlier, <coughs> that one thing that stopped us from having true change in our life was Satan. And you know what the other opposition I have is? Me. For true change to happen, I need to look out for Satan who's opposing me, and I need to look out for myself who's stopping me. I don't like change. Anybody here like change? I mean, really, no, I don't want change. I hate change. I'd like my wife to change. I'd like some of you to change. I'd like the police car who has his lights on behind me change. I'd like other people to change. I don't want to change. No way. You know, we're homeostasis. We like to stay the same. None of us really like change. But that's a couple reasons why we don't have true change in our lives. The devil stops us and hinders us from that change, and I don't want to change. So how do we have change, you ask? I'm so glad you ask. We've been in James chapter 1. Let's turn over to James chapter 4, just a page or so to the right. And this is really our, our key. James 4, 6 If I'm going to have true change in my life, this is what has to happen. James 4, 6 says this, For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why isn't there true change in my life? It's because either I'm trying to do it my way, I'm trying to do it with my own self-discipline. I'm trying to do it another way. I mean, this reminds me, you know, years and years ago, I was, where God really showed me this concept. I was in the gym. You know, I've had a, I got this bad spine deal. So every morning I go to the gym, do elliptical, warm up my back, right? So here I am doing the elliptical machine, and um, it's a weird thing at the gym. There's boys and girls there. Strange. And so um, I'm going, okay, cool. There's some cute girls at the gym. Don't look at the girls. I don't need to, right? So I'll look up. Here I'm doing elliptical, looking up, going, wow, I feel dizzy. This isn't working. You know, it's self-discipline, right? I'll look down. Down is good. Okay, I'm looking down. Now I'm going to throw up. This isn't good either. I might fall. Not so good. Wait, I'm a pastor. I know a verse. Job 31.1. Any fellows in the house know it? Job 31.1? Just me. Perfect. Oh, I'm a pastor. I guess I should know this. <coughs> Job 31.1 says this. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young maiden. Not working. Why? Well, I don't want it to work. So here I am going, okay, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm trying to self-correct myself. I'm trying to change my own behavior by my own self-discipline. Come on, kid, pull them up by your bootstraps. And I think we get so, as Christians, we get so into that. We think, you know what, we need to pray more. We need to read more. We need to tithe more. We need to serve more to be better Christians. And that's not the case. We should be doing those things because we want to. Not to become better not to become more. That's just who I am. I serve and tithe and, and all those things and pray and read, not because I have to. It's because I want to. I 
I think we get so caught up in that, and we don't need to. It's so liberating to know that it needs to be a desire from my heart to do it. It needs to be because God has placed on my heart to do it. You know, and, and if we're going to have true change in our life, the reason why we're not, it's because of our own pride. I'm trying to do it my way. You know, and we get burnt out, and we fall to pieces, and we blow it, and we feel guilty, and we want to give up. You know, I know it is for me. If I want true change to happen, I need to understand that I need God's grace. The only way that true change is going to happen is by God's grace in my life. God's grace has to change my life. That's what has to do it. I mean, think about it. I bet not all in a group this size, I bet we're not all struggling, struggling with black tar heroin, right? Good. Most, some of us, hopefully. All right. Cool. But, you know, there's people that sit in my office that do, that sit there and go, man, I love black tar heroin, man. I, I go, okay, right on. But what makes one person struggle with heroin and another person not? What makes another person struggle with methamphetamine and another person not? What makes one person struggle with homosexuality and another person not? It's God's grace. I should struggle with all of them. That's what I deserve. That's what my past dictates. But only by God's grace do I not. So how do I get God's grace in those other areas in this area? If you're one of those who does not struggle with black tar heroin, awesome. You're experiencing God's grace in that area. But how, how do you have it in another area that maybe you are struggling with? How do you have God's grace in another area that you need to have victory in? Well, I believe that God does want to give us grace in those areas. And I know that it's because of our pride that we're trying to do it in our own strength, in our own, our own way, that we're struggling. We keep failing. We keep trying to do this, and we keep falling short. Maybe there's a certain sin that just wants to entangle you, a certain thought that wants to envelop you. And man, God wants to release you from that. You need God's grace. You know, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But with him, you can do all things, he says. We need him a, a part of this. If we're going to try to do this on our own, we are going to fail. If you're trying to overcome this sin, you're trying to overcome whatever issue that you're thinking that you may have struggling with, then yeah, you're designed to fail without God. Do we get that? Apart from God, we can do nothing. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and I like that term because really it's like a, you know, today's a, a great football day. Um, we'll see who's going to be in the Super Bowl. But see, it's this, when, when it says God opposes the proud, it's like the running back trying to break the line. you got these like 400-pound linemen stopping him. They're opposing him. He tries to go low. They push him down. He tries to go up and over. They stuff him down. There's this big opposition. It's the same way when we're trying to do um, or trying to overcome this problem, by our own strength, we get God's opposition. He stops us because we're trying to do it in our own strength. When what he really wants us to do is say, God, I can't do it. Then he wants to give us way. He wants to give us that victory. So like we've mentioned, there's, if we want true change to happen in our lives, we need to realize two things oppose us, the devil and ourselves. So how do we have true change? Only by God's grace. Again, notice our James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, maybe you're thinking about today there's something in your mind that you'd like God to change. You'd like him to do that. 
then God wants to do that for us. But it's only by God's grace in those areas that we're going to be able to, to make it. So how do we get God's grace? Grace is what we need, so how do we get it? I'm so glad you asked. This is my prayer to God to have true change. I call it my four H's, just for fun. My first H is this. It's humility. Whatever it is I'm struggling with, I ask God. I say, God, I can't do it. You know, whatever it is that we're struggling with, I say, God, I can't do it. This is humility. God, I I can't do it. I'm confessing before God that I can't do it. I can't do it. And this is the beginning of God's grace, to have victory in whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is that we're having trouble, having change in our life. God, I can't do it. Then my second H is honesty. And I like this. I say, God, I can't do it. Why? Because I don't want to do it. I like it. Did you know that I always do the sins I like? You too? I never do sins I don't like. That's stupid. Why would I do that? No way. I always do the things that I like, you know? But I'm telling God that. I think as Christians, we have this this idea that we want to come before God like we're all holy, and God, you know, I'm always trying to do the right thing and trying to live a holy life before you. Forget it. God's not buying it. Because I, I know it's not true for me. I tell God, hey, th- this is what's happening. I'm doing this because I like it. Right? Because now I'm telling God what he already knows, what's in my heart. I'm not trying to play some game with him. Because I try to play this game with him, and then I get God's opposition. God, you know I'm so righteous and holy. You know I'm a pastor and all. Oh, really? Here's some opposition. Keep struggling, buddy. I don't need that. So I come to God and say, God, I can't do it. Why? Because I don't even want to do it. I don't want to change, but I know you're calling me to. Then really where things start to change is my third H, and really that's help. The third thing I say to God is help. Change my desire. Like we read earlier in in, in 1 James, there's only one, James 1, 14 if I can have God change this desire, then I don't fall into sin. If God changes this desire, it doesn't equate to death. God, help. Change that desire in my heart. God, help me. Because I can't do it. God, change that desire. And this is really when things start to change. And remember, back to me on the elliptical machine. Here I am, do my elliptical machine in the morning. I do my deal. I'm going, okay, if I'm looking up, I'm falling down, I'm looking down, I'm throwing up, right? My Bible verse isn't working. My magic Bible verse that I have in my back pocket stuck in my brain is not working because I don't want it to. <clears throat> so if I'm saying, God, I can't do it, I don't even want to do it apparently, will you change that desire in my heart? And I can't tell you the exact time or I can't tell you the exact date. I just remember after a few weeks of just praying, going, you know what, God, I just can't do it. I remember going to the gym, doing my deal, do-do-do, and guys and girls there, and I just realized there's just guys and they're just girls. So what? I go, wait, so what? It was a big so what weeks ago, I can't remember, but now it's a big deal. The world's got 50% girls. Guys, did you know that? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, big deal. So what? Come in different colors, different sizes, different shapes. I'm, so what? But it was like a so what, and you're like, why? Because God changed that desire. It was like, so what? Big deal. Life goes on. 
And you see, the difference was that God changed that desire. It was a so what? Big deal. It's like when I see Bud Light on, the, on TV, I go, yeah, so what? It's not a temptation for me. I have no desire for it. No desire. You know? Because <clears throat> that's when God really starts changing your heart. But here's the beautiful thing. When God takes that desire away, my fourth H is I honor him by worshiping him. My fourth H is I honor God by worshiping him because he did the work. <coughs> he took that desire away. Because here I am on the elliptical machine worshiping God, going, oh God, you're so good. Why? So what? Just girls. No big deal. Do, do, do. Do my deal. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I honor God by worshiping because he did it, not me, me with my spiritual blinders. I've heard thousands of studies on that one. I've, you know, look up, look down, whatever. God, take away the desire. Not a problem. Awesome. What happens when it becomes a problem again? God, I, I still must like this, so will you continue to remove the desire of my heart? And I worship God. Every time that God does that work, he changes that desire in my heart, I worship him. Go, God, you're so good. You did it. You were the one that took that desire away. God, you're so awesome. True change occurs only when we get God to change that desire in our heart. That's when true change happens. I can chase after an action all I want. Let's look back at that last slide, number 10 or 13. The ugly kid one? Yeah, that's the one. But you know what? This is what I love about this. Because it starts here in our head, and we have a choice. We have free will. So the Holy Spirit says to the Christian or non-Christian, hey, problem, what are you going to do? Now we have a choice. We say, I'll take care of this. I'll solve it. I'll look up. I'll look down. I'll self-discipline myself. And God goes, okie doke, have at that one. I'm going to get up early and read my Bible. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to tithe more. I'm going to serve more. And we get into that more routine, right? And all of a sudden we get burnt out going, what happened? I was mooring. More, more, more. Yeah, it's desire, desire, desire. That's what has to happen. It's not more, more, more. We get into this more idea. You know, it's, it's God changing that desire. But I love this because it starts with God in our head. We have the option. You know, God says, Tage, problem. I go, yeah, I can't do it, God. I don't even want to do it because I probably like it. That's why I'm doing it. I'm an idiot. And, God go, and I say, God, will you take that desire away? And God goes, yeah, I'll do it. Then he changes my desire. The action doesn't take place. Then I worship God for taking the desire away. So it's a perfect circle. It starts with God here and ends with God here worshiping him. Not me going, I need to change this behavior. Let me take care of this. It doesn't work. I mean, it works for a while. It works until you get tired. It works until the pillow monster continues to wrestle you down. You, I can't get up anymore. I'm so tired. You know, your gym membership turns into donation. You know, yeah, I get that. I'm talking about true change that changes our desire, which makes the action change. That's what changes everything. It's God changing that desire. You know, and this is really what, what it's all about. But what do I do when I don't have the desire? You know, I had a, a lady come in to my office and, 
And she said, you know what, uh, I've been married for a bunch of years, and her husband's a mechanic and dirty all the time, blah, blah, blah. And she said, I just don't have a desire to be married anymore. I have been, and I'll continue to be married, but you know, I'm just kind of going through the motions and doing all of my wifely duties, and here I am. I said, okay, cool. I'm sure you're a bundle of fun. And I said, okay. Um, why don't you ask God to change that desire? And she goes, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, actually want to be married again. So what are you talking about? Like, I was like, I had three heads on or something. I go, like, you know, God changing your desire. And she goes, I don't understand. I'm like, okay, let me break it down for you. Let me show you a couple of heads. And I begin to show her how God can, he wants you to be married. And he wants you to be engaged in this, in this marriage and desiring your husband. She goes, wow, I, I, I've been doing this for so long. I've just been going through the motions. I said, well, yeah, aren't you tired of that? I said, well, yeah, but I'll keep doing it because I know that's what God wants me to do. I said, well, that, that's good, but it could be better. You know, God can change our desire to make, to make him, you know, something you desire. And so I told her all that, and she goes, well, okay, I'll, I'll be praying that. I'll ask God to change my desire. About a week and a half later, she came in and said, oh, you won't believe this. I was just cooking, and she, he came in from mechanicking, and uh, I just looked at him, and I go, man, he is so handsome. Hubba bubba, let me give him some kisses. I go, okay, cool, time. I don't want to know anymore. And, uh, but she goes, I don't know. It's just like, you know what? I just loved him again and, and desired him again. I go, awesome. But God changed that desire in your heart, and so you trying to to do this behavior thing, you know, or just live in that way. Because sometimes, let's face it, any men here, women maybe too, that wake up and don't want to go to work? Uh, yeah, me too, me too. I'm a pastor, I work at a church, you know. <clears throat> I do too. How many of us go anyway? I do. I go anyway. But here's what I do. Sometimes I'll wake up and I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go to work, which is the same for me, sorry. And um, I go anyway. But, and this is why I go anyway, because Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I still go to work in faith. I still do what God's called me to do in faith, but I don't stop there. I go to work anyway, but I say, God, will you change my desire that I actually want to go to work? I actually want to engage with the people there and shine my light and do what you've called me to do there. But I think so often we just go, I don't want to go to work, and I'm going to go anyway. And we go to work, and here I am. Don't talk to me. I'm going to go to my cubicle. I'm going to go do my work, and I'm going to go home. Man, that's terrible. I mean, to live our life like that, we do that in our marriages. We do that in different relationships. And God doesn't want that. I mean, God, he loves us. He wants the best for us. He wants us to, to have that desire. He wants to give that to us. Man, I like to ask God, change that desire. You know, there's sometimes... I'll be honest with you. I feel like we're family. And I'll wake up in the morning, and I may not want to read the Bible. Crazy. I know what you're thinking. You're a pastor. How do we get rid of you? Simple. <laughs> Another 10 minutes, you'll get rid of me. But sometimes I'll wake up, and I don't feel like reading the Bible. But I still act in faith. I still read the Bible, but I don't just go, all right, let me get my Bible reading done, and I can check it off my list. Right? How many of you have ever done that? Right? Okay, time to pray. Okay, dear God, good morning. How are you? Of course you're fine. Um, you know, and we run through this little list of like, well, I talked to God today, and I read his word today. Now I'm okay. 
But really, that, what kind of relationship is that that we have with God that we want to just like make him a checkoff list? Here you are, God. Gotcha. Good. I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. I'm doing good. Here's my relationship with God, totally cultivated. Sometimes I'll wake up and I don't want to read the Bible. I, I tell God that. I say, God, I do not feel like reading your word. But you know what? I'm going to act in faith, Lord. And will you change that desire as I read that you would just minister to my heart? Change my desire that I would want to, because I don't want to. I'd rather watch ESPN right now. I'd rather do something else. But will you do that work in my life that I'd want to? Because sometimes I still need to act in faith, but in the meantime, I ask God to change that desire. I think a lot of us miss that second part. We go to work. We be that relationship. We do that work, and we forget, you know what? This is just what I got to do. I'm just treading out this mill, and this is all I got to do. And that's terrible. That's like the Eeyore complex. It's bad. It's probably going to rain. You know, that's a hard way to live. I'd rather have God change that desire in my heart. You know, and, and really, this is what it's, it's all about. If we're going to have true change in our life, we need to remember that the devil's trying to oppose that desire of change. And, and we ourselves, we don't like change. But God's Holy Spirit maybe, maybe has brought something to our mind today that we need to change. You know, God wants to change that desire. I don't know what you're struggling with, and I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know that in all of our lives, there's going to be change that needs to happen. I mean, think about this. When you first got saved, I mean, God changed some desires, no? I mean, I've been saved for almost 20 years, and, and you know, I was 22 when I got saved, 23. And, man, God he completely changed my desires, it, but it was the weirdest thing. I stopped wanting to go to clubs and girls and partying and all this stuff, and I started wanting to go to church, which was weird. I had this desire to go to church. I had this desire to read God's Word. It was a weird desire. I mean, I had a desire to listen to Christian radio. That was totally weird. Like, what, K-Wave all the time? Yeah, I liked it. I desired it. But you know what? If God starts off with these desire changes, why doesn't God want to com continue with changing those desires all the way along? For some reason, we think, oh, God, good job and change those original desires. I got it from here. And we start failing. We start struggling. We start, you know, treading water. No, no. I, I believe that God continues wanting to change those desires in our life over and over. As the Holy Spirit brings them up by His, His goodness, I give them right back to him. God, I can't do it. I don't even like it. Will you do it for me? Yeah. But over and over. You know, I bet in a room this size that there's some desires that need to change. And I pray these same desires for the good things that have to happen in my life that aren't and bad things that need to go away. Because some, some desires that need to be there that aren't there, like reading God's word, like we've already mentioned, you know, hanging out with God's people, serving, tithing, all these things that maybe I just don't want to do and I know that God wants me to. God, give me the desire to do it because I don't. 